0: Hello, everyone. My guest today is Rick Wilson. And with over 20 years of executive level experience, he has unique vantage point on the businesses and its shift to e-commerce, asserting that business society is still very early in the transition to e-commerce with less than 10 percent of retail and even less of B2B transactions currently conducted in online commerce. His company is called Miva. He's going after this problem. Rick, are you ready to take us to the top?
1: Absolutely. Nice to meet you, Nathan.
0: Nice meeting you too. So tell us what Miva does and talk money to me. What's your business model? How do you make money?
1: Sure. So Miva is an e-commerce platform. Uh, we work in the B2B, B2C and B2B, B2C hybrid space. So people who sell both to end users as well as through dealers. Um, and we're fundamentally an e-commerce platform. So the most, most well-known version of that out there is probably Shopify. Um, I wouldn't call us a direct Shopify competitor most of the time, but our from a 50,000 foot view, the businesses look similar and our business models are similar.
0: Got it. So, what what is your model?
1: So, so, we charge a monthly fee for software licensing and hosting, essentially software as a service. And we charge based on buckets of revenue. So, if you're doing 100 grand a year or less in revenue in one of our stores, you pay $79.95 a month. Um, for very micro stores, we even have a lower price tier. but that's not our focal point. Um, if you're you know, between 100,000 and a half million, you're probably paying about 250 bucks. 750 beat from half a million to a million. And then if you're over a million, it's 1500 bucks and up depending on your size.
0: Now make it easy on us just so we can avoid talking about every cohort. What's the average customer paying you per month?
1: Uh, our average customer pays us about $300 per month and our average enterprise customer is paying us around two grand a month.
0: Okay, got it. Really, really helpful. Um, take us back now and, and help me understand kind of, or maybe share a specific customer example of somebody using you.
1: Sure. So our, our most famous customer, even though she's not our largest customer, is Taylor Swift.
0: Okay. So,
1: um, so Taylor uses us for her merchandising store. And so when she just dropped her new singles, if you want to go buy a Taylor t-shirt to match those singles, or even want to go buy that's on CD, you hit store.taylorswift.com. That's a Miva store. Uh, and you can go through that.
0: Very cool. So
1: she's basically, she's using you
0: to power these things. Now you made the decision to charge this based on a SaaS model versus a percentage of transaction volume model. Why?
1: Um, you know, what I found in the present of transaction model, what, why I uh, is that people get really hung up on little things. They get hung up on, well, Hey, my mom ordered this, or my brother ordered this. I don't want to pay for a family referral, or this was a chargeback, or this was fraud. And they really start getting hung up on almost basis point levels of nuance. And, and that's why we just, it, our model is almost the exact same, but we didn't want it to both come off like a tax or require excessive accounting. It's just like, Hey, if you're succeeding to this level, here's our price point. And the reason we did it was this. We also have a retail price. You can just come buy a license and put it on your own servers. You can pay 20 grand a year for it. So, so we set a price at which, if you don't want to be monitored by how much you're paying and you want to handle all your own IT, you can go do that. And and a lot of that was based on what we thought the product, the under, underlying intellectual property is fundamentally worth. And then we tried to bring tiers. As opposed to really charging more for success, we thought that the high price point really what the stuff's worth, and we try to make it more accessible to the lower price points.
0: Yeah, look, I uh, I mean, look, I've interviewed a lot of marketplace folks. I asked the same question, too, and everyone sometimes gives me a different answer. But ultimately, like these big guys, you, you're moving the Miva expense on their PL from a cost of goods sold that scales with revenue to a fixed expense that's predictable based off like a bucket of revenue. And that's a huge mental thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Okay. Tell us the, tell us the backstory. When did you launch the company?
1: So I actually wasn't the original founders. The original founder was a gentleman named Joe Austin here in San Diego. Uh, and then another gentleman named Troy McCaslin. They started the company in 1997. Uh, so 20 years ago, this October, actually. Wow. Oh, so been a wild ride. And I was, I knew them and I came on board in October of no, September of 99 as the director of North American sales back then software as a service didn't exist. Right. So I don't know how old you were back then, but it was a different world. And so I was, started- I was born
0: right around then, Rick.
1: You were born right around then. So as you were <laughs> born, uh, I was out, uh, I was only in my early twenties, but I was getting on airplanes and I was flying around to visit web hosting companies. And so today there's not nearly as many as there used to be, but back then there was probably 10,000 of them. And, um, you know, today you'd think of GoDaddy or a Bluehost or a HostGator, but back then there was they were just everywhere. And um, we would go sell those guys licenses and then they would turn around and sell our licenses to their customers. And so we were essentially enabling them to do SaaS, although the term wasn't really being used back then um and so that's how the company got started we became hugely popular during the dot com boom not very financially successful in fact financially we were very not successful but we were hugely popular during the dot com boom had a couple hundred thousand active users of the platform mostly on the very small smb
0: were you transaction uh percentage driven at this time or it was saas
1: neither we were getting a one time fee of like 40 or 50 bucks we were getting almost oh my nothing. gosh wow and it was we were more like magento community but we were getting a small spiff right so yeah that's tough so if you're familiar with magento community we had both that, that level of sort of awareness and breadth as far as popularity goes, and we were collecting just about as much money as they collect for community, which is almost not. And so um, so that was how we survived and went through the dot-com boom. Uh, we got acquired in in 03, at the end of 03, by a publicly traded company in the pay-per-click search engine space called find What. Find one. So, f- no, Find What. Um, and, and so Find What was number two to Overture back then. And... Find what was focused on Yahoo. Overture got bought by Yahoo. Everyone thought Yahoo was the future. Uh, and everyone ignored this little company we all know called Google. So Google went public in 05 and clobbered both Yahoo and Overture and Find What. Um, and so that, that led to a change of management on their side. And in 2007, myself and four other people bought the company back from them and rebuilt. And when we rebuilt it, we rebuilt it. Well, as hold on, a- Rick. Hold
0: on, hold on. Because this is good. This is juicy stuff here. Um, because first off, a lot of people think the only way to like build something meaningful is to start a company. It's actually like probably the stupidest way to do it. It's much easier to like find an asset, figure out how to pull it out, or there's some emotional triggers you can use. So let's get our brain back to 2007. Yahoo was already, there were murmurs going out about, is this thing going to work? What the hell is going on? New CEO, blah, blah, blah. Find, you know, your company was part of, I think you said find out or find what? Find what? Find what, which is a very kind of a small part buried under the Yahoo kind of umbrella. You see an opportunity and go, if I just had this freaking tech and not all this bureaucratic bullshit, I could make this into something special. How do you negotiate the deal to spin it out?
1: So technically, find what was a competitor to Yahoo. No need to get into the details on that. They were their own publicly traded company. But what happened was I um, I had left Meva, the division, under their ownership, and I had done a good job of staying in touch with the then general manager of the division. And I got a phone call one day from him that said, "Hey, we need to spin this thing out. Do you know anyone who wanted to buy it would want to buy it?" And I and I think they were hoping that I would have contacts at a Google or something that would be interested. And I said, "No, I'm interested." Uh, I was 30, 33, 34 at the time. It was a little bit of hubris on my part. And I just said, "I'm interested." And uh, I think they were taken aback. And then I why ran- were they taken
0: back Because they're going, "Wait, we didn't know Rick had the money to do this."
1: Yeah, and I didn't. And so. <laughs> <laughs> and so so, uh, but we have filled out, you know, we have signed the NDA and filled out the paperwork, and I hustled behind the scenes to go put an investment package together. To help us. Rick,
0: I I I want to hug you right now because this is so, cr- you know, you saying yes when you know damn well you don't have the money, but you know that's going to keep the momentum going. It's going to get you the NDA, and it's going to get you the financial data, so you can go put a package together, so you can convince investors to come in. Like that's how it starts. Most people will not have the balls to say yes to that because they're going, "Well, I don't have the money."
1: Absolutely, and you know what? The what. It was one of those instantaneous thoughts, but if I ended up not having the money in the end, it didn't matter. It's like going, exactly. to, car, it's like going to the car dealership and you can't, you can't buy the new Ferrari. There's
0: was, no okay. down. Da- there's no downside.
1: <laughs> yeah. All okay.
0: Just- so NDA, you get the data. What's the investment package look like? And what, how, where did you find investors?
1: So I had worked with a gentleman named Russ Carroll before helped him do very well. So he really became not, he, he was the only investor. He was essentially an angel investor. Um, him and I worked really well together and he became my business partner here at Mevo for the next 10 years. Um, and we looked at it and what we saw was that we had an asset here that was valuable, but the business model was so broken, they weren't going to be able to get a premium for it. And so what was going on was there was really two things going on. The owners at the time had unrealistic expectations because of how well known the company was or what they could get for it. So when they did get audiences with the really big tech companies, They weren't asking for big multiples. They were asking for ridiculous multiples. And so I think they were, they were blowing themselves up. Like what's
0: ridiculous, 10, 30 X, 40 X.
1: Yeah. Like 40 X, 40 X revenue. Right. And so they were asking for crazy numbers just because in the big picture of those companies, it wasn't that much money, but people, you know, no one likes to waste money. And so, um, and so they went asking for ridiculous multiples from the really big players. I think they handled their negotiations poorly. And, um, and we had to bank on that cause I couldn't compete with those multiples if they could get it right. Yep. If they could talk to Google into giving them 30 million bucks, you weren't going to compete. Asset, I wasn't going to win. So right? what'd you
0: raise and what'd you buy it
1: for? So we bought it for, uh, all in about a million and a half bucks. Um, that included the turnaround capital. And, um, and, and actually that's what we raised and bought. I mean, so we, we paid them less, but that's what it took to do the whole. And
0: thing. what was the, re- what was the revenue of the company when you bought it?
1: After cost of goods, it was about half a million bucks a year at the time, even though it had a huge number of customers
0: and, and nothing going to the bottom line after GNA and all that. No, no, nothing. Okay. More. Got it. So, okay. Call it half a million, uh, gro- gro- kind of gross top line. Right. And then you bought it for, call it two X that good deal. You have a lot of customers, broken business model. Uh, fast forward us to today. Have you bootstrapped since then?
1: We bootstrapped until, until April of this year. So okay. we bootstrapped from there to the mid teens in revenue. Um, and what do you mean mid
0: teen, like, like 15 in AR, million in ARR something like that?
1: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, we, and we took our first round of professional money in April of this year. We raised $18 million from a private equity firm.
0: Why do you, why did you decide to do that?
1: So Russ, my business partner, wanted to retire. So uh, a chunk of that was for to recapitalize him.
0: Oh, it was a uh, secondary offering. They were just buying his equity.
1: Most of it, yeah. And then we also took some growth capital as part of it. So it was it was a multi-piece deal. So we took some growth capital as part of that. Um he's not completely cashed out. He's still a, he's still an employee on the board and Did you, yes, you cash older. out at all or no? A little bit. Not like he did, but Well, I was going gonna-
0: yeah. I didn't get much of your backstory before that, but I mean, have you had a huge multimillion dollar financial personal windfall yet? And if not, how were you able to resist taking cash on this latest round of funding?
1: Um, I've been, I haven't had a huge multi, I haven't had a huge one. Um, I I've been, I've been successful and I, I'm certainly happy with, with where I sit in the world. Um, you know, I'm, I just turned 45 last weekend. Uh, let's say I took, um, let's say we sold everything and I took $7 million off the table pre-tax. And after taxes, I got 4 million bucks left. I'm 45. I have to go back to work, right? I'm yeah. not, I, I, that's a lot of money. And I know people listening to this might be like, oh my God, if I had $4 million, I'd be in, in the Bahamas or you know wherever. Um, the truth is, is I, I would, while my financial security would be set- I You would, would still, hate
0: the Bahamas, by the way. Your brain would kill you.
1: Yeah, I would still have to work. And so um, so I looked at it from a perspective of, what is my best opportunity? Like, where's my best leverage? Um, what do I like doing? And I love doing what I do here. And I love the staff we have. I love our customers. I love our product. So it was, so really it was, yeah, okay. I could try to sell the whole thing and cash out. And, and then what, and then I'm going to go, you know, you a tech company. Yeah. yeah. And so, so it was kind of an easy decision.
0: I get it. All right. And what do you got today in terms of total customers?
1: So we have about six thousand active customers across the board, but our focus really is our enterprise customers, and so we have four hundred of those, and you know, aimed at trying to get that to a thousand, then two thousand, et cetera. Why do you?
0: So, so, I mean, can I can I do the math? I mean, can I do the math here? If I take six thousand times your minimum ARPU of three hundred bucks a month, I mean that puts you at one point eight million right there before we even talk about the enterprise two grand a month.
1: Right. So the reason we care about enterprise is because lower churn right? Our average enterprise customer lasts more than a decade. Um, we care about the enterprise because our product fits really well with that. You know, using Shopify as a competitive example, Shopify, if you have, if you're selling t-shirts and you've developed five t-shirts and you just want to get up and running today, Shopify is a great experience. It's super simple. It's easy. There's nothing complex. You don't need to be a web developer. If you're selling auto parts, And when you're all said and done with child SKUs, you have 750,000 child SKUs and you need to connect it to an ERP system and you need it to ship to your multiple warehouses. You're not getting there with Shopify. Uh, and, And so that's where we shine. Those are our specialty plays and all that kind of stuff. And historically, your options are an open source platform. that You have to customize so much, you now have your own software platform on your hands. Or you can go very high end like a Hybris or an IBM. And they're just very expensive. And so we offer... We offer, even though our price points are much higher than Shopify's for the most part, we offer a value play compared to essentially building your own econ platform or using IBM or Hybris.
0: Guys, big news. Last month was a huge month for the company I recently acquired, which was www.thetopinbox.com. I liked the company so much when I met the person who created it. It lets you send emails later on Gmail, So when you add these two kind of cohorts together, small uh, kind of startup, small business, plus your enterprise, I mean, are, what are you guys between like 1.5 and 2 million in MRR right now? Somewhere in that range?
1: In monthly? Monthly. Uh, yeah, in that ballpark. Right in that
0: ballpark. Okay, good. Because you said that last round of funding when you were in the mid-teens in an ARR of 18 million, you said that was in April last year? Yep. Or this year?
1: No, this year.
0: April. Okay, April this year. Got it. Okay, so, so you haven't passed 20 million in ARR yet. Maybe by the end of this year.
1: Uh, maybe by the end of this year, but probably not this year.
0: All right. And you have a, are now, are you, you probably, I mean, do you see a lot of seasonal stuff like during black Friday, that kind of stuff or no?
1: So we see it in our customers, but it doesn't impact our business seasonally. So, so our revenue won't radically change for black Friday. Um, we'll be all hands on deck for our customer base and we'll see a huge, we see a normal, we normally see cyber Monday as three times more sales than any day of the rest of the year. Um, so, so we see a huge sp- spike for our customers, but it doesn't impact our our business model.
0: Okay, yeah, because you're not really charging based off the, that that model. Yeah. Okay. What's uh, what's gross churn? Uh,
1: our that switches into two cohorts. Our uh, our annual churn for enterprise customers is sub two percent, and our and our SMB churn is in the eighteen percent a year range. So also great, you know, compared to the rest of the industry. Fantastic. But they're just different customer bases.
0: It is. So what do you assume that small, you said it was 10 plus years for your enterprise, but those small business folks, what do you assume lifetime value is?
1: I normally should have this off the off the cuff, but uh, you've got, uh, it's about $6,000.
0: Six, and, and walk, talk talk out loud for a second. How do you get to that?
1: So you got about $1,000 a year in total income on those guys, and then they last about six years.
0: Yep. So, okay that yeah, works. That, that makes sense. Fast. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> all right. And uh, what are you doing to acquire these customers? Like what, what are you spending? Uh, what's your CAC?
1: So, um, so that's actually relatively new for us. So we've been around for so long that almost all of our business for most of the last decade when we were bootstrapping came from referral. So our, oh, wow. client, our client acquisition costs are a little screwy, so I don't have great numbers.
0: for. Okay. Them. Well let's, let's do it in aggregate. So like last month, what'd you spend just on paid, paid advertising less than what?
1: Oh, less than 20 grand. Oh
0: wow. Okay. So really small really small yeah
1: and and on the SMB side we spend essentially zero so so we so SMB is a referral based business for us people know us people web developers use us they come in uh, we spent all of that spend is directly aimed at enterprise customers and you know we expect that to come in in the five to ten grand a pop range when it's all said and done but that's been a new initiative with this raise so my data will be better in a year
0: yep now what's your team size currently?
1: 123 employees as of August 31st. Uh, So, and mostly here in San Diego, we also have an office in Tampa.
0: And what's the breakdown? How many of those are sales?
1: Our sales seem small, relatively speaking. We have eight people total in sales. That includes for retention. So it's not a big group. And I think we have seven in marketing.
0: Okay. So, I mean, you don't have, I was going to say, what's your fully weighted CAC, even on the enterprise guys with only eight sales reps. I mean, it's still probably in the 10, maybe maximum 15 grand while I said and done CAC. Right. Correct. Yeah. So you're, you're optimizing their payback period at two grand a month. I mean, you're going to get paid back in less than a year on these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Are you pulling, are you pulling the money forward? Any, any annual upfront payments or no, it's mostly monthly?
1: No, it's all monthly. The only thing that they pay upfront, uh, way. N- customers aren't required to use this for professional services, but we have a professional services team. So obviously those don't get rolled into the monthly.
0: Yep. Anything affecting your margins or are you right in that 85, 87% SaaS range? Yeah, we're right there. Got it. So you don't, you, nothing affects you like processing fees or things like that, since you're so much transaction volume going through you.
1: No, no, we're okay. I mean, look, it's funny because when, when, when you're trying to get from 87% to 90% margins, you suddenly start staring at those interchange fees saying, what can I do about that? They do matter. <laughs> they do matter. But, um, but no, we're right in those high gross margins that SaaS companies love.
0: Yeah, that's great. I love it. Last question here before we wrap up with the famous five, Um, we know kind of MOR what you're trying to grow to this year. Give us some history though. 2016, December last year, what were you at?
1: Uh, I actually don't have that offhand, but we did, uh, 12 million total in 2016.
0: Okay. That's helpful. And what about 2015? Uh, we were right around 10. Okay, good. So, I mean, healthy growth rates.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, we're not, we're not, uh, because we've been profitable this whole time for the last 10 years, we, we're not seeing 50, 80, hundred percent or more growth. Yeah. But I love it. You're profitable. Profitable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We
0: wrote our own destiny. That's good. And, and what do you think you'll break this year? 15, 16.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Good stuff, Rick. Let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Oh gosh. Um,
1: maybe the one minute manager.
0: That's a good one. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now?
1: Uh, gosh. Uh, there's a number of them that I follow and study. I mean, there's all the the big ones that are great to learn from. Um, I, I think guys like Bezos, Musk, Josh, give me an
0: undercover one, like one that other people wouldn't mention.
1: Hmm.
0: Maybe someone Uh, in San Diego.
1: There are no CEOs in San Diego that I'm necessarily following. There's a guy you wouldn't know who's been a mentor to us who was the original um, COO of IBM services division. And he started as a low-line employee at IBM. And he he literally started as a frontline IBM guy in the 50s. And he became COO of a $6 billion division before he retired. What's his name? Um... Gordon and Gordon Myers, and, uh, he's retired. He's not in the public at all. I know him through Russ.
0: That's awesome.
1: And Gordon, um, Gordon has been, he's the kind of mentor that we're looking for because his path is more similar to our path, right? I'm not going to invent an electric car. It's not on my path.
0: Yeah. (laughs) All right. Uh, number three here, what's your favorite online tool, like acuity scheduling?
1: Oh gosh. Um, my favorite online tool is probably Workflowy works no one uses but me it's like a little type pad thing that syncs someone's all my devices and i can create lists and
0: i get it number four how many hours of sleep do you get every night
1: i try to get seven sometimes i sometimes i beat it sometimes i don't last night i was okay
0: and what's your situation <laughs> married single do you have kids
1: uh single um i have dogs i i was engaged in the past but but i'm single right now
0: all right single no kiddos and how old are you rick
1: i just turned 45
0: all right last question take us back 50 25 years what do you wish your 20 year old self knew
1: uh, time doesn't stop for anyone. Go faster.
0: <laughs> I love that, guys. Time does not stop for anyone. He joined me. This, this is a fascinating story. Story joined Miva back in uh, 1997. Way back then, that's when around when it was created. It went through, you know, exiting to a publicly traded company. That he then raised some money, took it private, had a great deal. It was doing 500 grand, uh, kind of top line after cost of goods sold at that point. He took it private for about two x that number, so be about a million bucks there. He since grown it. Uh, it did, you know, it's past 10 million. Bucks in revenue uh, did about 12 million in 2016. uh, In 2017, hopefully, passing 16 million again, helping over 6,000 larger enterprise brands. That's where they're moving. Do e commerce online. Think of them like an enterprise, more sophisticated version of Shopify. Rick, thank you for taking us to the top.
1: Thanks so much, Nathan. I appreciate it.